Hi, we're Auction Conservation, and this is the Shoe Room Sessions. Good morning, Fee. Good morning, Ray. Welcome to your Shoe Room Session. Thank you. Very excited about this one. Um, who are you and what do you do? So I'm Fiona Milden, and I am Planning and Property Director at OC. Having joined in July, I am now responsible for I have built properties across the portfolio. The, the beauty is you joined several weeks before you actually joined us. <laughs> so you, you were working kind of kindly for nothing until that. I had a launch. You did, you did have a run into it, yeah. Um, can you take us through your um, career content page? So what are the chapters that got you from childhood, where you were grown up, uni, career content page, high level? Yeah, I can. Um, so I kind of think about this as me coming back to the natural environment. So I grew up on a um, third generation tenant farm in South Shropshire and I loved the natural environment, um, really, you know, loved everything that went along with living on the farm. Um, and I, uh, after that, did the best of all degrees. I did geography um, and I did it in Nottingham. I think we've had more geographers than anything <laughs> else on the, the best podcast. Um, and while I was there doing that, I realised that as well as loving the natural world, I was really also fascinated by the built environment. So after I'd finished that, I did a year's conversion course um, in planning. And Same I'll, uni? No, I went to Cardiff to do that. Uh, and after that, I got a um, my first grad job with a multidisciplinary property consultancy in Birmingham. Um, and I worked on all sorts of projects there. I worked on um, big town centre, regeneration, retail, leisure. Um, but increasingly was doing more and more residential work. Uh, and I had the opportunity to move to um, a house builder doing a lot of strategic um, land promotion. So taking what was effectively land with no um, kind of planning status at all uh, and promoting it over the medium and long term for... Um, In that context, what does medium and long term mean? What sort so, of So, I mean, really um, anything from five to 20 years. Um, you know, if you've got a site in the green belt that's on the edge of a settlement, you know, it can be a very long time coming before you can get some planning traction on that. But that was really interesting to me because it got me back into, um, you know, farmers' kitchens talking about, you know, how this land was, was going to progress. Um, and I did that for eight years in my old job, um, uh, taking um, the business from a sort of um, regional focus to divisional and then ultimately managing um, a sort of net national group portfolio. Um, but then in the last two years, I moved into more of a policy role. So really trying to think about how the business would cope with what the government was proposing around planning reform. And a big part of that was how we would um, embrace the kind of sustainability agenda that was, was very much um, coming, but also addressing, if you like, some of the environmental constraints on development. So thinking about recreational pressure on protected sites, nutrient neutrality, but also looking ahead to how we would um, deal with biodiversity net gain, which is... All the things our lovely Prime Minister has obliterated in the past yeah, few weeks. Yeah, it, it's, it's a moving feast. Um, but it was that kind of context that then took me back into more of an interest in the natural environment and particularly in natural capital, which is how I came across AC. So it's a beautiful segue into... Uh, do you remember how we first met and how that first meeting came about? I do. I Tell do. Us, 
So um, we first met on site um, in Leon in Devon, which is our beautiful estate down there, uh, in the context of my old role where I was looking for um, solutions to how we might um, procure BNG units. Uh, and OC were, were in the market thinking about how they could um, fill, fill part of that role in the market. Uh, and we had a lovely walk around the estate and a, and a lovely lunch. And I was lucky to meet probably five or six of the team, I think, that day. Um, had you clocked that I was mentally interviewing you at that point? <laughs> no, I don't think I I don't know if I had. I think we had a really honest conversation about what did BNG really mean and what was it going to create? Yeah. And I think... Um, you know, it was really interesting to hear you guys talking about what you were doing. And what I really took out of it was the fact, was the, was the way that you were approaching land acquisition, I think, um, because there was a real sense that you wanted to do it with integrity and humility and that you felt a sense of responsibility for these estates that you were buying. And that was really intriguing, I think. So that, that what was really helpful to me because I'd kind of uh, seen your meteoric career rise in the previous role right. and um, <clears throat> we knew some of the same people. So I heard what you were achieving across history and some of the other um, companies you'd worked with. Um, but I hadn't heard the backstory of where you'd grown up, the family links to the farm and the sort of rooted in the, the nature and natural environment part of it. And when I heard that, I was like, Ding. we've got an opportunity here. And it was that walk at Leon that, that really brought yeah. So uh, a couple of weeks later, I reached out and said, can we have a conversation? And and when I said, what are your thoughts on potentially coming to work with us? What did you think at that point? Um, I, I mean, it sounds cheesy, but I think I felt like the stars had aligned a little bit. I felt like my career had taken me back into this place where I had recognised that I'd got this interest in you know, agriculture, if you like, but just the natural environment in its broadest terms. We're at a place in history where that felt like a really timely and important mission. And you guys were really so passionate about what you were talking about. You know, you believed in the mission. And I think you said the day we met, you know, the world is literally on fire. What am I going to tell my kids that we've done? And I've got young kids and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, it it, it took me back a little bit. I haven't, um, haven't shared this video with you yet. Um... At the weekend, I was reading the Lorax to... Have you read that to the kids? So I was reading the Lorax to Emma. For those of you who don't know Dr. Zeus' story out there, and, and in there, uh, essentially, they're cutting down all the trees to commoditize them and things. And Emma's asking me, well, how, how are people allowed to do that? So Emma's seven, going, well, that, that's not okay. You can't cut trees. I'm like, I'm sorry, sweetie, you can. We need to plant more. And she's saying to me, you need to sort that out. And I'm like, oh, I'll try. And she just looks at me and goes, don't try. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's it. Don't don't try, get on with it. And she yeah. wants to come and plant trees and, and really? they're coming. The government's not coming to save us, but I think our kids are. I think they're going to demand that, that the world changes in that way. Mm. Um, so we found approaching people to help partner with us in working in the built property environment incredibly depressing because trying to find people who had that genuine connection to, to looking at land holistically and not either viewing it as how can we exploit this by putting as many houses as possible in this place as quickly as possible. I find it really difficult. What were your experiences of, of working in that, that sector? I think the fact that my background is strategic land is probably helpful. You've got to have a degree of patience in strategic land mm. because you've not only got to be in the right place, but you've got to be at the right time. Um, and I think you also get used to 
the fact that quite a lot of what happens is dependent on external factors. So there's some political will at the national level, but also local political decision making. Um, but I think, you know, what interested me about the role and about the approach that OC take in general is that, you know, you were talking about being custodians for the long term, you know, this idea that you would acquire an estate and then really understand the baseline and sit with it maybe for a year whilst you built up a strategy to make sure that it was kind of right for the unique kind of context and and that sense of place is so important in terms of any planning justification because it's got to be sensitive, it's got to be appropriate. And, you know, we're at Mornicott today and I think that's a brilliant example of, you know, an, a farming business that has transitioned and diversified over the years. They've taken traditional buildings, they've really sensitively and beautifully restored them and turned it into ecotourism. And it's a good example, I think, of of working with, with what you've got. That's why I love doing the podcast here because philosophically that's what we've done about the building and um there's a book called the alchemist by rory sutherland who's a, a marketing guru and psychologist and he said the most sustainable way you can do anything is by rebranding it because it changes the perception without physically investing any resources into doing so so we've changed the shoot room which had a former life to to welcome shooting guests here to a shoot room for a podcast without changing any of the built structure or environment we've given it a second chapter of life by reconceiving and, and reimagining it. Yeah. Um, so that segues on to what will, uh, what will property be like in terms of an OC lens. So you've been here a few weeks so far, Max, at the point of recording. What have been some of your reflections on visiting most of the estates now? Yeah. In terms of our built footprint, what have you found? What do you think? What have you been happily surprised about? What have you thought? What have you done through that one? <laughs> What stands out? Um, so I think, yeah, in terms of, of the journey, I saw um, eight estates in four weeks, which was so useful to kind of get a feel for what the characteristics of each are. And they are all very different, both in terms of location, but also in terms of what's what's there. I think my overarching takeaway is there is a huge amount of built footprint there already. Yeah. A lot of them are actually in quite remote rural areas, but there is some um, really brilliant buildings. We've got 100 buildings total like, of every kind, so from beautiful manor houses to concrete pads or kennels and things, but 35 to 40 that are houses. Or, yeah, or yeah, yeah. So I think in terms of what the business wants to do, which is, you know, provide um, rural housing, you know, um, progress eco-tourism, there's some really good stuff already happening that gives us a, an indication of how we can continue that and improve it. But just the amount of, you know, traditional buildings, modern agricultural buildings that we've got that now don't necessarily have a kind of farming life, but are there in the landscape as an opportunity to um, kind of be brought back into a productive use is brilliant. Um, some of those are, are more sensitive than others. You know, Leon that we talked about earlier is, is a good example. It's in the it's in the National Park. Ecologically, it's very sensitive you know, it will socially, it's very sensitive. Socially, yeah, and it's very sensitive. Yeah. Um, you know, right through to places like Shropham, which is a new um, acquisition, but is right on the edge of, of a village. So, in sustainability terms, gives us a really different dynamic in terms of being able to support and sustain the services there. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to be getting on with, and I think a huge amount to be going at. So, our job now is really to prioritise that and think about where can we have the most impact. Is there one that you remember walking into and going, wow, this is way more special than I imagined? Um, 
I think Swinley, and Swinley's a really tricky one. Interesting. Um, because, you know, it's in the Yorkshire Dales National Park. You know, um, my previous life was not in the national parks. You know, we, we wouldn't go there. But there's such a lot of built footprint there. So for anybody yeah. who doesn't know, Swinley's probably got, you know, half a dozen derelict, big, beautiful stone barns on it. And you just look at it and you think, notwithstanding that it's, you know, somewhat remote, that there is still life in those buildings and I'd love to see something done with them. Yeah, so I'm, I thought you were going to say Hartscarf Farmhouse. Oh, well, that's Because I remember walking in there with you and you were like, this is brilliant. Like, <laughs> But they've all kind of done that to me. Yeah. I agree, because, you know, to come in not knowing very much about them at all and to then suddenly be walking around with your team who are so invested in them, um, you know, when people look at it on the other podcasts that you call yourselves con- custodians of those... Everybody is so enthused by what you can do. And my job, I think, now is to make sure that whatever we do with the property fits with the wider aspirations for, for the estates. One of the themes that's been running through so many things we're, we're doing at the moment, so we're just over two years old as a company at the time of recording. The reason I keep saying at the time of recording is we don't fully know what order we're going to release these in, so um, or, or when it's going to fly. But is the time domain on things? So you mentioning that long term in the land promotion world can be twenty years. Mm. In the in the carbon world, long term is a hundred years, yeah. and we're so used to thinking about things in quarters for like reviews or board meetings or the cadence of financial years or and and it's just a moment in in a lifetime of a site, and um, I think we need to keep reminding ourselves of of that sort of context. So um, even between now and, and 2030 there's both no time at all but also plenty of opportunity to get to get stuff done still yeah. um in terms of oc properties if we if we fast forward x years what does the first iconic and let's do this in two ways so let's do new build and, and retrofit separately what is an oc property like for you what does it look like feel like have you got a feel for that yet i think based on my understanding of the team's aspiration is that it is it's it's somewhat sensitive in how it sits in the landscape but it's quite ambitious so it's ambitious in terms of design um it's kind of ambitious in terms of sustainability credentials and its adaptability in future um and i think you know we've talked about kind of design and styling and we've said well actually you've got to take your cues from the local vernacular and and what's around but i think the overarching theme is that we're doing something long long term um and also we are hopefully very clear about the benefits that that brings to an area whether that's you know in terms of supporting local services or giving people who are visiting access to to the countryside and to these landscapes but and we've talked a lot about the the sort of ongoing energy footprint of, of buildings mm. and things and one of the questions we keep coming back to we're going to do a lot of work on that this year those sort of old historic properties that balance of is the is the overall best thing to do to drop and replace or to retrofit yeah sitting here today and we're going to do the work to understand that property by property do you ever feel which is going to come out on top in terms of performance I, th- I think it will depend on the on the on the state of the building, if you like. So, I was looking through a building um, survey yesterday for um, Invergeldy Lodge, and it's such an impressive property that you feel like you want to retain as much of its kind of integrity as you can. 
but then by the time you've started to unpick and say, well, actually, you know, it's um, it's cold and it's somewhat damp. It's, it needs such a lot doing to it that you think, gosh, it almost might be easier to start again. Yeah. But but the beauty of it is it's it's historic and it it talks to the buildings around it. Um, so I think that I think there'll be horses for courses and just on Invergeldi. Yeah, we, we've taken people, so we've shown people the site and they've gone. You need to knock it down and start again from afar. You yeah. take them there, they visit, they're like, you cannot yeah, lose this place. Absolutely. There's a magic to it. Yeah. And I think one lens is the is the energy sustainability part of it. Absolutely, that's such an important lens. But I don't think we can kid ourselves that we're going to solve the climate crisis by retrofitting grade two listed farmhouses across the country mm-hmm. when we're going to need to build millions of new houses moving forward. Other things we can do to improve things and on a cost benefit analysis we'll have to look at that. Yes, I think there are. Yeah. But that's not the silver bullet that's gonna do things. And actually we need to weigh up is that funding better spent on acquiring land for the planting of trees and the restoration of the habitat and accepting that grade two listed farmhouses and manor houses offer something culturally and socially yeah. and historically that we can't give back in another way. Yeah. I wonder is the I suppose maybe a paragraph eighty home is almost a cultural offset. Yeah. In that we can't, that we're trying to put something back that offers more for, uh, uh, could you explain to people what a paragraph 18 is? Yeah, so um, under the current um, national planning policy framework, there is a um, a clause, if you like, that says, um, generally you, you wouldn't build um, a new market home in a remote rural location because you would expect the majority of homes to be in a more sustainable location, edge of settlement or elsewhere. But what paragraph 80 enables you to do is to say the design um, and the sustainability of this proposal is so good and so exceptional that it really justifies being in that landscape. But moreover, it brings up the quality um, of properties there. It kind of sets um, an innovative bar, if you like, um, for rural communities. And and I think that's an interesting idea that actually if you get that right and it's so good, it then becomes, you know, part of part of that landscape and something that somebody else might take use from for design in 10, 20, 30. And creates the excitement and the momentum and the continued innovation. Yeah, and that innovation point is is so important because so many people have said, you know, it's it's too hard to you know, get past a certain level of building regs or sustainability, but it's doable, it comes at a price. And the more people that show that it's doable and the more skills and the more technology we get into the system, the more it's going to come. And that price isn't just financial, right? It's it's time, it's energy, it's effort, it's setbacks, it's challenges and frustrations and planning committees that, um, as we sit here today, we could present the best thing in the world and it just might not be the right thing for that planning committee. Yeah, um, the right thing and and quite often at that time you know i think we forget that planning is so inherently political you know and over the years we've uh, you know in in proposals that i've seen before you know they've fallen or gone well based on where we are in the election cycle and that puts us at the moment i mean us everybody in planning in such a difficult position because the government with Uh, all respect are all over the place you know and that trickles down to local decision making everything is very knee-jerk at the moment. That's for you, that's the very polite way we could have could have put that in. <laughs> Abjectly trying to attack the environment on every level. You're not even trying to pretend you're not anymore, are you? <laughs> Terrible. Uh, I'm not happy. With, so, uh, 
today's the day they've rolled back BNG now, nutrient neutrality, yeah. and decided to announce a, a new oil field at exactly the same time. Yes, um, we haven't seen the announcement yet on BNG, but it's been reported in the BBC that it's being pushed back to next year, which I know some people will say they're not surprised at, but in a way I am, because I felt like it was one of the few things that had had time and energy and resource spent on it and the development and just Will your old colleagues up. be happy today or will they be frustrated or I what? Think, I think they'll be frustrated in a way because I think everyone's spent a lot of time thinking about what are the solutions and trying to kind of get themselves in a position to understand it and plan for it. Um, people who've got short-term projects perhaps aren't that affected because the understanding was anything that was in the system before November wouldn't it wouldn't have it retrospectively applied so there was always going to be a lag period yeah, a race but, but yeah. now you know today we need the government to say well if it's not November when is it going to be because otherwise people lose the ability to, to plan again I think we're going to get largely nothing until the next election I think yeah. we're just going to say no 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 we're busy running the country um the heartbreaking one for me was um so Charles Courtney the Lord of Devon really awesome guy knows OC well he uh, was at an event uh, with him talking about the future of the rural economy and he said what we've got in England that's cherished all over the world is our love and protection and passion for the environment he thinks that can be our next great export internationally we've got a government saying we don't want to be world leaders in this mm -hmm. can you imagine Silicon Valley coming no 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 we don't want to lead the world in data no 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 we want to be bang average it's just unbelievably short-sighted yeah. um, okay so Pulling us back to OC, mm -hmm. um, what are the biggest, if any, cultural or working differences you've found from PLC House Builder to, uh, I was going to choose a load of words to describe OC, innovative startup <laughs> in the conservation space? Um, What's felt different? So, I mean, most obviously, you know, the size of the organisation. So, um, you know, there was probably 6,000 people in my old organisation and you know, I was um, lucky to be in a senior role, so, you know, got to meet lots of people and got to attend lots of meetings and understand what was going on. But I think um, the fact that everybody at OC is is so plugged into what we're doing, you know, we have a weekly meeting where everyone's involved, everyone hears about the That was one of the first questions you asked, wasn't it? How transparent are you about stuff? Yeah. And I laughed and went... Yeah, I think you told me you were radically transparent and I thought, okay, great. And But you really, you know, you really have been, um, you know, we had the um, SPV board meeting um, a couple of weeks ago and it's just so interesting for me to see the way that everybody engages with that. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, um, I've observed you doing lots of coaching and, you know, it's just really interesting to see how people are going up I don't through think the we, business. We can expect, so we're very fortunate that we've got the most talented early career professionals coming to work with us. Someone sat in this room. Hey, guys. Um, if you're going to invite and, and try and attract those most talented people, and if you're not going to coach them and give them every opportunity to be brilliant, what are you doing? Yeah. So that's yeah. what I love about. And, and the same is true of, of you and Ellie and George and Chris and the other sort of directors and heads of. It's that every opportunity to coach those people because that's the, the future of our business. Yeah, yeah. Which is really exciting. Um, and while I'm sitting here, I've got to say, it's also the fact that, um, you know, some of the um, some of the comms have been quite punchy. Do you know what I mean? I've said to you a few times, oh, I've really had to get off the fence about that. I was you hoping know. you'd raise that, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to free you up a little bit to yeah. speak your mind. I, um, you know, I sort of came in and I was like, well, you know, 
I'd been in a place where you kind of don't, you don't want to say anything too provocative, you know, um, manage expectation, get the tone right for the audience. And everybody's really um, kind of uncompromising in their views. If something's good, they say it's good. If it's not good enough, they say it's not good enough. Um, and yeah, I don't know. There's kind of an agility to that, isn't there? That's the widest smile you've had since we. <laughs> I just think it's. I'm only... not there yet. I mean, I'm still very uptight, but yeah. I I can see that the team because of that is 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 better. It's more dynamic. I just think everybody knows, and and if you try and do anything but, you lose your authenticity and clarity. And I can't ask people to be brave and honest and challenging around the about the world around them if I don't do the same thing and role model it. Uh, so um, there has been one bit you've really struggled with in terms of the move across to OC. <laughs> What's that? And that has been the sharing of food. Ah, oh, sharing of food, yeah. Particularly yeah. a certain part of cake, right? <laughs> this this was not your finest hour. No, I mean, by way of background, <laughs> let the record hear that I am an only child. <laughs> <laughs> not prepared to. And my husband is an only child, so I mean, there has not been a great culture of sharing in our house. Okay. If we're gonna share, we like kind of get the ruler out and cut something down the middle. Um, so yeah, early doors, we were on a side. You did snap at me when I took the nose off your cake. Early doors, we were in a cafe and you went right in for the centre yeah. of my carrot cake and that was rude. <laughs> <laughs> cake which I just bought as yeah, well. Yeah, you had paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just surprise. <laughs> no. Well, it was a good lesson for me because, you know, the rest of you are very good. You're all, would you like a piece of this? Would you like to try this? So That's not true. Katie explicitly sits next to who she wants to eat food from. <laughs> That's great tactic. Yeah, it is great tactic. <laughs> Um, for your final question for uh, all sort of team members we, we bring into the shoot room is, um, what does scaling conservation mean to you? Oh, what does it mean? Um, I think for me, it's it's the it's the breadth and the kind of holisticness. I don't know if holisticness is a word um, no. that you're doing it with. So you know, scale scale is one thing, isn't it? Um, but it's not about size necessarily what i've learned is it's about putting things in the right place at the right time getting the sequencing of that right so that actually everything is better you know we've talked about not just one species we've talked about kind of what's right and what's the connectivity to neighboring estates and all of that stuff so it's it's about getting the whole play right across the period it's why some of my annoying bingo card coaching lines work so perfectly how you do anything is how you do everything thing yeah Perfect. That's all the time we've got for the shoot room. Thank you very much, Lee. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed that. Have a great day, guys. Bye.